is Michael Shapiro. Welcome to Interplay, Conversations in Music. Today, I'm with a friend who I've known for 30 years, Marin Olson. Hey, that's you, not Marin. nice to start that, that way. Well, I'm much older than you are, so I can say that. Yeah, but 30, 30 years, doesn't it doesn't vary between people. Well, you were 10 at the time. Yeah, there you go. So, Marin, so good to see you. You're in Vienna right now, right? I'm in Vienna, yes. Good to see you too, Michael. It's wonderful to see you. And you know what? I know that I know the Marin Olson that I've known for just a few years. That um, nothing lets nothing keeps you down. I've noticed that over the years. And in our brief time together today, I'd love to talk to you about oh, many, so many things. I know that you're finishing finishing up with Baltimore, and also you've now started with the Österreichische uh, Rundfunk Orchester, otherwise known in English as the ORF. Vienna Radio Symphony right. Orchestra. But there's just so much else, Marin, you know, and I know wherever you go, you, there's, at least for me, it's, it's, you're pushing the boundaries, you're going forward in so many ways. You just did a, um, a program called See Me, a global com- concert I see behind, can you tell us about that? Yeah, there it is behind me. Um, well, this was a project, uh, I've been the um, music director for the, <laughs> it's an odd, odd thing, but for the opening concert for the World Economic Forum for the past three years. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, uh, years one and two, we, we were able to gather and do some really fun things in person. And of course, this year with the pandemic, um, we decided to create a concert. Uh, a, it's really like a concert film. And the idea to me was to try to um, address connection between people. And so the film starts with Yo-Yo Ma playing Bach on a beach and you see some of the sand art um, that was created there. And from that, it goes to um, voices uh, singing from um, the choir that I was associated with in Sao Paulo um, and the boys choir in South Africa in Drakensburg. And then from that, and that's a, that's a new piece by Rena Esmail called See Me. And that then sort of just really blends right into uh, an excerpted Beethoven Pastoral Symphony, which I recorded in Vienna, but then we also had recorded in uh, Beijing, Afghanistan, Philadelphia. Um, so it, it's just what, and Florence also. So wow. we have this, you know, coming together of artists from all over the world. And uh, I think it's a very, I think it's a very moving um, uh, experience to watch it. And I, I hope if everybody has a chance, maybe you can put it up on your, um, the link, I'll, I'll send you the link and you can share it. And- uh, Please do, we, we can share it. That would be great. And people will notice, I hope that um, uh, all the women conducting are, uh, all the conductors are women. Mm-hmm. Does that matter at all? I mean, at this, at, at this point in our lives, I mean, I know what you've been through because we've been through a lot of it together. Um, you and Joanne and other people were really forerunners in going past what Antonia did years ago. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I'm finding it so tiresome, frankly, at this point of our lives to talk about any of this. It, to I don't me, think it's just we need quality. to talk about it, but I do think we need to do things about it. <laughs> and it, a, a lot has not changed, too. I know that. And you've certainly been at the forefront of this. There's no question about it. 
Well, you know, a lot has changed, Michael. I, I think I think it has. Yeah. You know, I think we've crossed that line. We're, we passed the tipping point now. You can't go backward anymore. Good. Good. Well, that's good. Here to stay, but no question. It takes a while to create a network. You know, especially when there hasn't been one for centuries. Yeah, it's quite true. You know, there's this recent development with some musicologists about the so-called white composers that Beethoven was this, which I find repellent because in the, the, the period that these people lived, you know, with their anti-Semitic statements by Schumann, yes, early on. Did he change his tune? Yes, when Clara introduced him to Mendelssohn. You know, I, I think that it takes a, a, a different kind of response, but that's a, a much different kind of conversation because I think there's a joyous thing going on in your life now, your Ode to Joy project. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, well, I can tell you about that, but I, I do think that this is a, you sort of, you know, threw a hot potato in the mix and then tried to back away from it. And I think maybe we should talk about it because, you All know, right, go for it. at least from my experience, I think it's often important to go to an extreme before you find a balancing point, well you know? Put. And I think, I think, Composers are rightfully um, angry because of, again, centuries of being excluded. Mm -hmm. And so maybe we'll over adjust, but hopefully we will finally adjust to a balance that is um, fair, appropriate, and incredibly creative. So I just want to say that because, you know, a lot of people ask me, well, why should we celebrate Beethoven? Who needs another celebration of Beethoven? You know, this, this dead white European guy. So I think that I was, I, was really, I was really agonizing over that because of course I agree in many ways, but I think it was Beethoven, not the musical genius alone, but, but the Beethoven's philosophy about the future and about how he envisioned a world where people could achieve um, great things by uniting, where tolerance is important, where connection is important, um, where working together through joy is important. That's right. And I think that's why he used the Schiller text originally, because it expressed so many new ideas at the time, the idea of individuality, the idea of freedom, the idea of unity, these were new concepts. And of course, uh, for us today, it, it, it sounds old fashioned when you speak about brotherhood, you know, that seems offensive. No, no, not at all. <clears throat> but I think part of my, um, part of my project, I, I, was, um, I was launching this project on six continents. Um, and uh, with 12 different organizations and orchestras and with nine new texts. Um, so taking the themes of Schiller's themes and Beethoven's themes about tolerance and unity um, and joy, especially, and reimagining them for the 21st century. So mm -hmm. we have, uh, we did, we were able to launch the project in Sao Paulo and uh, with a, a, a text in Portuguese and then, um, Sadly, of course, everything got canceled after that, but we've, we've got an online iteration of it and we will be doing it in Baltimore, for example, and the text has been done by Wordsmith, who's a fantastic rap artist. When we do it 
in um, New Zealand. Uh, the text is in Maori and wow. involves indigenous instruments. So in between the movements, I've also added music to make it sort of a, a journey piece that people can relate to. That's so awesome. that was my idea. Thanks for taking the hot potato. <laughs> I always I always appreciate a hot potato. Yep. Well, no, I know that. I know you're I know you're long enough to throw a hot potato at you, but and then and then switch the subject. <laughs> you know, um, I read recently in line with your background, originally called the Taki Conducting Fellowship, and now the Taki also conducting fellowship. And I remember the days of Carolyn Kwan and Laura Jackson, and now many more. Mm -hmm. um, and also your recent work that's coming up with the National Orchestral Institute Festival. I think it's Maryland, correct? Yes, at the University of Maryland, yeah. So these two events, how do you see them coming out of you organically, or looking back and also looking forward with the National Orchestral Institute? Well, I think, um, you know, maybe I'll speak to the NOI um, project. I, I'm, I'm happy to be there. Uh, their first music director. They've never, you know, they've never had someone in that role. And um, their executive director, Richard Sherbo, is, is phenomenal and really forward thinking. I conducted this program, of, I think, for eight years um, in the 90s. And I loved it because it's, it attracts sort of the best of the youngest um, players coming out of college, you know, pre-professional. They, they may not have jobs yet. And they gather together for, um, for one month and right. work intensively. Yeah. And the idea is now to try to expand it to include um, things like what I started at Cabrillo, a conductor's workshop, a composer's workshop. Um, they're very connected to my record label, Noxos. So we're gonna do several projects there, video projects. And the facilities at the University of Maryland at the Clarice Smith Performing Arts Center are absolutely gorgeous. They have seven halls. Um, so they have these resources um, and they have this orchestra that's made up of eager young musicians who are anxious and, and can't wait to work on contemporary music and standard repertoire. So that's, I'm very excited about that. and. Um, the, the Taki Alsop Fellowship, which is called now, is something I'm extremely proud of. I started that in 2002. Um, as you said, Carolyn Kwan was the first recipient and she's doing tremendous work at the Hartford Symphony. Laura Jackson was one of the earlier um, recipients and she's uh, in Reno. And right. we've had 24 um, winners and they're all doing, uh, among the 24, there are 18 music director titles now. Um, they're from 16 nationalities and during the pandemic we've been able to get together at least early on we got together every week and started um, a real community finally you know I mean so that they're helping each other and supporting each other and uh, it, it's been actually um, a wonderful step forward for us. How many years is it in existence at this point? So it's uh, in 2022 will be our 20th anniversary. That's right. I remember 20, I remember 2002. Yeah. When Marge and I just met. <laughs> and she was one of your early supporters. The rest is history. It's unbelievable. I'm curious now that you are with the ORF, the Österreicher Rundfunk, the uh, 
ORF Vienna Radio Symphony Orchestra. I had the great experience last year of starting a relationship with the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, doing my music. Mm -hmm. And I noticed a wonderful thing about the radio orchestra, that they uh, play on the radio. <laughs> and not something Americans really understand, because in your, in you, in our generations, in generation, we were really got into this life just when Tuscany was ending, in my case, you know, with the NBC and the CBS mm -hmm. orchestra was, was going, you know, under Benny Herman and so forth. And then there was no more real, you know, there's no USA orchestra, as it were. We don't have anything like the BBC or the ORF. What I found about the BBC was the quickness of the orchestra, their ad adaptability. Also, the fact that they were not, you know, they didn't have their nose up in the air about playing anything. It was interesting. We say record, you know, Doctor Who for BBC. So tell me about your work with ORF and how it's perhaps is different from the other experiences you've had. Well, it, it feels almost like um, uh, the perfect arrival point. I mean, not just timing wise, I, I was so fortunate to take over this post during the pandemic or right before the pandemic because they've been working and we've been able to record and, and keep busy through most of right. this time. Right. Um, the orchestra itself is, as you say, extremely flexible, extremely adaptable. Um, mm -hmm. I would say relatively good natured about all of it. Um, whether it's, you know, doing a piece by, you know, with graphic notation or doing a, um, a film score. Right. They, can do, they can play anything. Um, they, don't, they don't come at things with huge judgment, prejudgment mm -hmm. anyway. Um, and uh, I enjoy working with them tremendously. You know, they, they live their lives working under pressure so it's not a big deal for them to be on TV, to be on the radio. They're used to it. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really loving it. And, and of course, living in Vienna is a dream come true, really, for a musician. I know. You can say hello to Schubert and Mozart. Well, Mozart we can't find, but we know where Beethoven and Schubert are yeah. in the great uh, cemetery that's their repertoire. It's very interesting going back because I've been with you a long, long time and remember the days in New York in the early 90s when you were, you know, when you were too hot to handle, as it were. Mm -hmm. And um, then, you know, going out to Oregon and Long Island Philharmonic, which is, I think, how we first met through my brother, Barry Shapiro. In Long Island, yeah. And Barry was, Barry Shapiro was chairman of the board, actually. That's right. And you, were you were playing in the orchestra and then you became conductor, so. Mm -hmm. I, I find it very interesting. And then the years in Colorado, I remember March and I going out there a few times and hearing you, hearing, seeing you play with Mark O'Connor, Emily Wong's piece. And then of course the, your, your debut with, with Baltimore. And I remember being at Carnegie Hall with your folks and mm -hmm. seeing, hearing you do an incredible Strauss uh, to Lodlich Bagel, I believe it was. Yeah, thank you. And then many years coming to the Balt to Baltimore, and you know, with uh, Uncle Frank and Aunt Bep, and seeing you the the Verdi film, the Verdi uh, Requiem, and hearing you Beethoven Nine, and all kinds of stuff. That's great. I appreciate yeah. your um, your longevity and loyalty too. It's we've got nice it. Well, we love, we love you. We love you. We love you. But the experience at Cabrillo for me was very special as a composer. 
when you premiered my roller coaster there mm -hmm. 10 years ago. Now you had 25 years of doing us living composers, as it were. And all my friends, I remember talking wonderfully with Christopher Rouse about, about this experience with you and so forth, and others, and Jen Higdon, Jennifer Higdon. But I'm curious now in Europe, because wherever you go, you tend to also look for local talent, as it were. What are you finding in the German-speaking countries right now for composers? Yeah, it's been um, it's been wonderful because I I really didn't know any of these um, composers that are based e either in Germany or um, here in Austria. So I'm meeting and getting to know a lot of new composers and new music, um, particularly women composers now. You know because mm -hmm. this is uh, at least. Um, this is the moment where the pendulum has swung that direction. And uh, so that's really fun for me to get to know a lot of, um, a lot of these new voices. Um, and they're not all young, you know, many are, are very experienced and uh, have been writing for orchestra for a long time. Right. Um, but it's a different, you know, there still is a huge divide. Uh, the ocean still, seems to separate us quite a lot. And there's also, I think, an inherent um, hesitation about American music, especially new American music, that it's the, I think the impression is that it's too accessible or it's too easy. Um, so I'm trying to introduce pieces, uh, American pieces here that I feel will really have success and that will open doors toward more American music. Um, can, I, can I jump in and ask you? Sure. What, how does an American piece get success in Europe? Through your you view? Know, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, I would probably be very wealthy if I did, <laughs> because every composer would come we, to me, but- um, Well, we I pay think, you off, yeah. <laughs> I think that, um, I really think that it's, you know, the, the entry point is very, very important. You know, what piece is played first, what the first impression is. Um, I remember that uh, with um, Chris Rouse, I can't remember if it's in Germany, I did uh, his um, percussion concerto, which of course is an homage to Wagner. And so it was, it wasn't taken as seriously as an abstract piece that he would have written. So in, in hindsight, I might've selected a different piece of his. Um, when I opened here at, in my position in 20, 2019, I, um, I, I started my first program with his um, piece called Rapture. And I think that was a good way to go. Right. I think so too. But I do think it's very, that, it's beautiful. you know, the first foot in the door um, is really important. What, what you choose. Yeah. Very interesting. To end up, I'm just curious, after all these years of doing so-called standard rep and a lot of new music, do you ever think, I ask this question of every conductor I, I speak to on this program, what's going to last? Remember that when Beethoven wrote his symphonies, there were 300 other symphonies being written. So what makes something stick? Well, I think it's, 
<clears throat> the what what level of memor memorabil how do you say how do I say that how well and easily it's remembered you know I really think that that's important the whether it's a a melody a harmony or whether it's um, a mood that it captures, um, whether it's a, a temperament it conveys. I think those kinds of pieces and, and those composers, um, those creators tend to have long longevity because these are pieces that connect with our human essence. You know, mm -hmm. art, I think art is only especially music, you know, it only exists in the moment. And so if it doesn't have an emotional connection, it doesn't evoke some kind of strong emotional response, I don't think it, it has impact. So that's my feeling. Recording though is essential, I think. It really is from what I can tell at my stage of the game. Because I'm looking yeah. at my my mentors, for example, so many of them. I mean, I, I, I've spoken to other conductors about this and other performers. It's so clear, you know, that certain pieces uh, that are lasting because there are recordings. So the value of recording is so important. Mm -hmm. And the value of, of radio performances, I think, are wonderful these days. Social media and radio, especially well, during this pandemic. Michael, we're really in a... Um... I think we're in a, a real evolutionary period of seeing the orchestras now embrace, well, maybe embrace is too strong a word, but certainly um, involve, be involved with um, digital media. And this is a huge yeah. step from where they were and a step that I hope they incorporate into their futures because it's a very important part of the world we live in. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation with one of my dearest friends in music, Marin Olsip, who always is pushing boundaries in the right direction, the boundaries towards freedom and equality and always love. Okay. So much love to you, Marin, from over here. Thank you, Michael. I miss seeing you, but I'm glad we had this time together. It's wonderful to have this time together. I thank Marin also for joining me on Interplay Conversations in Music. I'm Michael Shapiro.